Hi, I'm Sage. I'm here with Adam, and this week, another question. Spotlight? Question mark? <laughs> so, yeah, Epi posted something on Twitter, gosh, was that last week, about kind of audience focusing and alternatives to spotlight mechanisms, and, and uh, it was interesting. Epi so. being Epidia Ravichol? Yes, who's uh, working on uh, a totally awesome Robin Hood-style game. Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Green. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, and Epi has done several other things uh, that we've talked about many times. Yes. Uh, yeah, so this got us thinking about spotlight sharing and attention sharing in games. Um, Epi's point was especially about uh, kind of an alternative to thinking about spotlight, which I thought was interesting. Spotlight is uh, something that I think gets used a lot for people who want to play games that are kind of like prestige TV shows. You know, you want to play... Uh, the Sopranos or whatever, uh, Breaking Bad, all these shows that have kind of a an ongoing drama and certain episodes focus on a person, um, which is an interesting direction to come from. I don't actually think that Spotlight stops there, but uh, I'm, I'm spoiling some of my answers already. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, I run a game entirely over video conference, mm -hmm. but most of, well, entirely, but the back channel is Slack, where we roll dice, and so most of the time I'm not actually looking at anybody's video, uh -huh. so we just kill the video altogether, and so it's just kind of a phone, which means that figuring out who should be going next in a game like Dungeon World is a little difficult, because it's really assuming that you've got body language and people sitting there and all this kind of stuff. So trying to figure out how to coordinate over video conferences making me question this a lot more. I mean, that's a, a really fundamental question in any kind of remote communication. Mm -hmm. uh, we're sitting in the same place, so it's really easy for us to get the cues of when we can jump in and interrupt and all that. Uh, but any time you start losing some of those cues or that there's that tiny delay of uh, right. transmission time, it gets way tougher. Uh, and I say this to somebody who's worked on this stuff professionally. Yeah, it, it gets really complicated and making people feel happy with that is uh, real tough. Yeah, I was talking to Gary this morning who works with the W3C on kind of browser stuff, and so they all coordinate on phone conference and IRC with an IRC bot that kind of keeps track of who's supposed to go next. So when I brought up Spotlight at breakfast, he's like, well, we do this crazy stuff, and I'm like, I'm looking for things that could be done purely on pen and paper. And yeah. he's like, oh, well, that's not as fun. So. <laughs> yeah, we're not trying to... Uh, Technologically solve it, yeah. Well, we're not trying to solve it for the W3C. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's serious. Yeah. Uh, I guess I would try and solve it for WWW, Worldwide Wrestling, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, do you want to lead off? Oh, sure. So, I mean, back into the middle of, you know, our kind of core uh, game background is D&D Initiatives system. Okay. Uh, which is the simplest possible version of Spotlight. It's your turn now, it's your turn now, it's your turn Let's go. Um, you know. Also, at this breakfast conversation, I think that that works because you actually have a limited set of action on your turn. So, like, you are by default only going to be taking, you know, two, three, four, five minutes on your turn, and then you're out of stuff that you can do. You're not allowed to do any more stuff. Um, and I mean, this gets this gets changed. It's really it's it's a turn taking mechanism more than anything. Uh, I think it's uh, oh gosh. There's another game that does a Savage Worlds does a card-driven one where uh, you just flip up the cards and that's who's the next turn. So you don't know who's going to be happening next. Mm -hmm. um, I know that in new D&D 5's Unearthed Arcana, they're planning a kind of return to the 
roll every turn mm -hmm. uh, initiative system, but you change the dice based on your actions. But it's really a, here's how we decide who's going in what order, and now it's your turn to do stuff. Yeah, and there's uh, the Marvel RPG. Uh, it's turn-taking, but whoever's turn it is currently gets to pick anybody who hasn't had a turn this round to go next. Right. Uh, which is interesting because it's still that turn-taking, but uh, with a somewhat unpredictable order and with some strategy of, well, we know that the bad guys are going to go at some point. Do we, like, let them go first and then kind of, like, get back to, like, all get to go in a row? Or how do we... There, there's all kinds of decisions to be made there. But, yeah, it's the, the most direct spotlight sharing mechanism. Yeah, it's really interesting that spotlight tends to be grouped really closely with uh, timing mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. If you have to do something before I have to do something, then you better get spotlight before I get spotlight, or it doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've got flashback mechanisms that cheat this a little bit, but they tend not to be towards things that are, I hit you with a sword before you hit me with a sword. It's more, this thing happened way back, so now the situation is better for me. The interesting bit there is that uh, for that portion of D&D, it's very um, egalitarian. Like, uh, yeah, there's a few things with bonus actions, and sure, some people's actions are going to take longer to deal with, but uh, kind of always the implicit goal has seemed like everybody's action is kind of an equal thing. Like, uh, and even the, the in-game definition of it is this is, depending on your edition, anywhere from seconds to minutes or whatever, but like, this is the same amount of everybody's time um, mm -hmm. in-game. And I, I think there's a bit of an assumption that it's supposed to be in the neighborhood out, outside of the game as well, uh, which is an interesting approach. So I actually had, I'm going to mess with the order of mine because I had D&D for an entirely different kind of spotlight. Oh, sharing. nice. Um, which, as opposed to the very egalitarian initiative, is the uh, the more freeform uh, fact that everybody has abilities that uh, mostly don't overlap. Sure. Um, so I actually also listed Apocalypse World for this one. It's spotlight by means of uh, differing skill sets. Right. Um, so in Apocalypse World, you share a lot of spotlight in like the general sense because you will run into problems that your character alone can't do, and when you look at who can solve that, the other player characters are always the most, uh, or always some of the most, like competent and skilled people. So you go to them because they can solve your violence problem or your whatever things you aren't good at. Um, Do you think that's kind of implicit in how the game is set up, or is it very much as a DM you better be paying attention to this? I think it's very implicit, which is kind of why I like it. I think it actually may be my favorite kind of spotlight is this very implicit uh, create tough situations and have a bunch of players who all have different bits of solving that. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's a role-playing game, uh, whose motives and interests in doing that all vary a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. because otherwise it becomes kind of the co-op board game thing where it's really easy to say, okay, well, I need you to give me this, and then you say, I give you that, and then it doesn't sound interesting. Whereas when we're player characters and we each have kind of our own goals and interests, or we're even all interested in, together, in working together, but our character sheets are complex enough that we're like, oh, I can give you that, but it'll, you know, that'll be only one of my spells for the day, or whatever. Um, it, it's very baked in, in, like, just the concept of the game, really. It, in some ways, it's not mechanical. It's about the, um, the fictional setup. Yeah, it's a super difficult thing to design, though, right? Because D&D yeah. &D, D &D already has an issue where, at higher levels, the wizard's going to deal with it, mm -hmm. right? And in combat situations, you know, at low levels, well, the fighter's probably going to deal with it, and the wizard's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, you switch this thing up, and making the design work so that 
everybody does have an explicit role all the way through the game is yeah and part of that's baked into like uh the somewhat orthogonal issue of how D scales right like if if your game doesn't have that level of scaling it gets a lot easier to say well magic stuff is always going to be the magic person's thing it it becomes more apocalypse world where uh just because you're the gunlogger and you've got all your moves, that doesn't actually make you all that much better at weird stuff. Maybe sure. you did, uh, I believe, the gunlogger as the, like, take a move from another playbook. Uh, but it's not, like, you, you never get to that point of my ability now solves things outside of my wheelhouse, kind of. Right. Unless maybe you fictionally game the situation where you've got somebody else who has a connection to the psychic mail storm and you get them to do it, but uh, and you threaten them through violence or whatever. But it it's really interesting to me that it's uh, like it's a very organic spotlight. In some ways, it's spotlight in the same way of like a sport. Mm-hmm. Like if you're uh, watching football or whatever, the person who's in the spotlight is kind of situ- either situational based on the game state or situational based on who happens to be hot right now. Right. Um, there's like maybe the quarterback is always kind of in the spotlight, but uh, maybe you've got a great running back, or or maybe the defense is on the field all the time. Like there's. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting metaphor, too, because there are players that will not get the spotlight yeah. in those games. And we have players that don't particularly want to get the spotlight as much as other people, or they want a much quieter kind of, I do my thing, and then mm-hmm. let the next person go, please. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting model, and I think I like it because spotlight, uh, the idea of like thinking about spotlight in these terms, I think, comes from a lot of... Um, kind of indie RPGs that uh, are more influenced by, like, the the TV shows and movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to look back and spotlight in the kind of more... naturalistic RPGs is is really interesting to me. Um, well, so speaking of TV shows, I've got primetime... So do I. Of course we have primetime adventures. Let's, let's talk about primetime adventures. Yeah. I, I've grouped it in a way with microscope framing because I think that the idea in both of these is we're going to divide up the time relatively evenly among the entire group, mm-hmm. but the amount of time that you particularly get to use at any particular moment is kind of controlled earlier on. Mm -hmm. So like in Microscope, I can say, I'm going to build some small things early, and then later I'm going to do a big scene. And in primetime, you're like, well, I'm going to make my arc kind of peak at the end of the season if I want to. Mm -hmm. But we still are going to get the same share of time. So I feel like it's still still a turn-based time mechanism. It's just that the turns are a lot more fluid. Yeah, it, it is still turn-taking, but I think there's, like, a magnitude thing in there. Sure. Um, it's almost like the scaling that we're talking about in D&D, uh, except your scale fluctuates more, especially in Primetime Adventures. So Primetime Adventures is uh, the classic RPG now on its third edition, I believe, yeah. of, uh, I mean, of prestige TV shows, basically. I don't think uh, during the earlier editions they quite had that term, but, like, the... Uh, long-running TV dramas that take themselves relatively seriously, uh, you know, along the lines of Breaking Bad or uh, even Game of Thrones, maybe. I mean, Um, you could run Star Trek on primetime adventures. I don't think you could, actually. Oh, I totally think you could. But but Star Trek generally doesn't have that much of an arc along the character in a season. Yeah, so it depends on which Star Trek you're doing. But the, the, the concept being that we're going to run a pilot session, and then we're going to plot out, in general terms, the arc of the season. So mm-hmm. we know who you are. You're going to be really important early. But since you were really important early, we're going to drop you a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. And then we can do, we have small amounts of 
uh, tweak ability in the middle to based on you know how often we've decided this character is and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I I still think that Star Trek is a tough fit because it's so episodic. Uh, but Battlestar Galactica, I think, is sure, sure, much ambitious. better. Yeah. Uh, or even uh, Babylon 5 uh, has, like, th- there are plenty of space shows. Uh, you want a show with an arc over multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially things that have, like, a season arc fit really well. Where, Definitely. You know, this was the season where they were all trapped on the planet kind of thing really fits well. Um, and Prime Time Adventures has always been an interesting game for me because I think a lot of the appeal is the mashup of thinking about gaming like you think about TV shows um, and it has just the right mechanisms for that but those mechanisms don't really appeal to me uh, I, I've <laughs> played it a few times and it's just it it never clicks for me sure um, I think mostly because I don't want to I, I like those TV shows and I like picking them apart, but I don't particularly want to play them in that mode I guess well it's also got this big thing where you feel like you're signing up for a for a serious campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, you could, I guess you could technically play just the pilot of Primetime, but it's, the mechanics are all built for, we're going to play uh, at least five, six, seven, eight t- sessions to make a full season. And if you're not going to, a whole bunch of it is just wasted. Yeah. Like, you know, you really need fan mail from, from uh, session to session. You need an arc from session to session. You need to reach a satisfying conclusion. Like if you stop in the middle, it's like you just canceled your show, mm-hmm. and that never feels like a good time. Yeah, and, and with Primetime Adventures, I don't think you even feel like the canceled before it's prime kind of thing most of the time. You, you don't get like that Firefly feeling of like, if only there were more. I think it often feels like, well, huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have had that happen several times in mm-hmm. Primetime Adventure games where they get a few sessions in and then we just kind of, like I said, it doesn't click for me. Which is too bad because it's a great game. I don't want to make it sound like it's not uh, well done. It just is not my wheelhouse. Well, I feel like you end up having a similar complaint with Microscope, which is why I grouped them. Uh Because it's like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to play this thing and if we don't actually get as far as we should, somebody's not going to get any turns or somebody's not going to get to do a scene or somebody's not going to get to do something really big and cool that kind of expands the setting. Mm -hmm. I think Microscope does a little better on that because you can always, you can often stop in the middle and feel like we have a whole bunch of crazy stuff yeah, and it's it's satisfying, and microscope doesn't say you better play two rounds or you'll never reach an ending because uh-huh. your ending is already on the table even at the start. So, and that's interesting because uh, I I see how my reaction to them is similar, but it's also very different in that microscope the first round or two I'm like oh okay I'm interested and then I'm kind of I've had enough like mm-hmm. it it just seems like it it keeps on going. Yeah, it's the moment-by-moment changes to Microscope are not different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the moment-by-moment primetime, it's like, okay, we're on episode three, this is when my arc peaks, and now I get to do something. Yep. So, okay, across the two of these, I have a note about the types of things Spotlight can mean. Sure. We're we're talking about Spotlight... uh, Without really defining it. Without really defining it, which I think is kind of the point. That's why we uh, phrased our question this week as a (laughs) word and a question mark. Uh, But it it means that they're like spotlight in primetime adventures in particular is a very explicit like this episode is kind of about you this session focuses more on you and we're going to care more about you and you're going to have more ways to impact the story more or less um 
Whereas, and it's also it's a very strategic spotlight too. Yes. Like a lot of the some of the spotlight that I was talking about in the initiative is, you have the spotlight for the next thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. You get to decide exactly what you do, and everybody else gets to shut up for a minute. But prime time is for the entire session. We're going to be paying attention a little bit more to you. Yep, and it's uh, the the fact that it's your turn in Marvel or. D and D uh, doesn't mean that you have more impact during that. In some ways, it's it's like it, it's turn taking in the conversational sense mm -hmm. of now is your turn to say your bit, and I'm going to say my bit, and then we kind of all add that all together, and it was a conversation. Right. Um, whereas prime time is like changing the topic of the conversation. Like we're all going to talk about my character more this time, uh, as opposed to how often do I get to say things about my character, kind of? It, it's a really interesting thing because it's kind of reaching the same goal of how do we um, share involvement. Right. Uh, and I think your point about not everyone wanting to be involved in the to the same degree is really interesting because it leads to actually my third one. We're, we're already hitting all three, uh, it, which is uh, Buffy, the Buffy RPG. Okay, I haven't played Buffy. Okay. So. Uh, I have limited experience playing it. I, I played handful of sessions, three or so, uh, a few years back. But the really interesting thing about it is it um, messes with the typical kind of all characters are equally important uh, RPG trope, all, all player characters. Mm -hmm. There is explicitly one slayer, and then everybody else is the supporting cast. Nice. Uh, the kind of roles that you might think would go to like NPCs or something. Um, so there's kind of always one person more in the spotlight. Their, their character is more powerful in a lot of ways. Um, but th everybody else comes into the spotlight relative to them in kind of the TV show model. They're like, yeah, this is an episode that really focused on this member of the supporting cast because the main character is interacting with them a lot. So Monster Hearts, especially with Immortal, you get this kind of, uh, I think, at least in my experience, you tend to focus around the Mortal a little bit because the way the playbooks work, which makes sense. It's uh, kind of inspired by Buffy to some degree and by um, Twilight and all these other things. But it, it fits that mold and it creates uh, an unequal spotlight, but in an enjoyable way, typically, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is leading to your point. Some people don't want to be the focus of attention. Uh, they they want to have their little bit to say and be part of the group, but not necessarily have to come up with big stuff all the time. Also, a lot of this kind of fantastic genre works best when you have a character that you can immediately relate to, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Monster Hearts is full of characters that are only easy to relate to because they take a teen trope and push it. But if you've got a very straight, uh, not in the sexual way, but in the like straight man to the funny person mm -hmm. uh, way character, then it's like, okay, this is the normal world as people kind of generally perceive it. And here's all the internal conflicts that everybody actually has, but you don't see. Yep. And we can compare them and be like, why do we have to hide all this stuff? The Monster Hearts metaphor is so good. But yeah, the, I, this is kind of my third point on Spotlight is uh, deliberately unequal Spotlight, uh, which I think is something I wish more games um, made kind of explicit. Like I think, I, I know several players who maybe don't want to invest quite as much, but they enjoy gaming. They don't want to just sit back and watch, but they also don't necessarily want to be in the the lead position. They feel more comfortable uh, 
in kind of like, especially a D&D party metaphor, being like some kind of supporting character, like, I'm a cleric, I've got some spells, I care a little bit about certain things, but for the most part, you guys kind of lead the story, I'll, I'll come along for, for shits and giggles. Yeah, they don't want to drive. Yeah, they don't want to drive. Uh, they, they'll co-pilot. Right. Um, so my my last one is, is kind of currency-based spotlight systems. Uh, so okay. uh, Baron Munchausen does this in a way... Uh, Tenra does this in a way, and I like how both of them do it. So uh, Baron Munchausen has this kind of rotating core spotlight where you are telling the story, and you basically have your own spotlight for five, five, six minutes or whatever. But while you're doing that, people around the table can jump in just a little bit by paying whatever currency they have sitting in front of them, which isn't a full, I'm going to grab the spotlight, look at me, I'm going to talk for a while spotlight, but it's, I can alter that story, and for the next couple seconds at least, you're going to be talking about something that I put in there. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ha- I'm not having to drive. I'm not having to make too many huge decisions. I just get to inject a little bit of my own personality, my own creativity into this story, which is a nice low-key uh, way of doing Spotlight. And it also, I've played games of Baron where somebody doesn't want to actually tell the story, mm-hmm. but we they still want to be involved. And so you can just skip them when it comes to the main story. Yeah. Uh, but they're still limited on how many interruptions they can make because you only have so much currency. So Tenra does a scene entrance payment thing. So, you know, we would play a game and I'd be like, okay, Sage, it's your scene. We're going to do this thing. And somebody else at the table is like, oh, well, I really want to be in that scene. And they have to pay to get in that scene. So... Mm-hmm. And you only have so much currency, and currency is is painful in Tenra. So you end up saying, how important is this particular scene to me? Do I want to grab Spotlight or not? Uh, Which leads to, like, Tenra really wants to be kind of this, uh, there's a play on stage, and there's a bunch of spectators, and the spectators can do things, and they're interesting. And so you have this role where even if you're not in the spotlight, you're still playing the game, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, you know, a lot of these games have a failing where if you are not in the spotlight, you really aren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. You can listen and you can watch, and and but, but you're not participating in the game mechanically, right? So Tenra gives you a lot of ways to participate in the game, which is weird, but... Fun. It's interesting because those kind of uh, like currency-based spotlight sharing just always uh, don't sit right for me. They feel very gamey. Yeah, it, it feels um, kind of like I was talking earlier about liking the uh, organic sport-like spotlight where somebody is in the spotlight because they're important to the current strategy or events or whatever. Uh, this is in some ways kind of the opposite of that. It's the uh, I can buy my way into something and it, it just doesn't fit with my style of play. Sure. Um, it's totally functional though and I like it for I think I like it in some ways more than the um, more scripted out spotlight of like primetime adventures uh, because it, it's more dynamic and uh, that gives some possibilities for like emergent behaviors and stuff. Uh, I think in in the groups that I like to play it with it works well because you kind of explicitly fall back to audience. Mm-hmm. Um, in in D and D and in in similar styles of game, 
it's everybody is involved in the current action all the time, mm-hmm. and it's really just a question of okay, who's kind of the active player? Yeah. And Tenrod isn't isn't built like that, and neither is neither is the way that I built my game. Uh, you generally have a small group, a subset of all the players being involved in the current action, and everybody else is somewhere else. They're doing something off screen. They're they're nowhere to be found. So you can actually just sit and kind of relax for a little while. Mm-hmm. And if you really don't want to sit and relax for a little while, then you can pay to get in. Mm-hmm. But because Tenra is a little hardcore about what you have to be able to do at any given moment, and because it costs so much to continue to take actions and to actually be able to spend a lot more currency to succeed at those actions, it's nice to just kind of sit back and and watch the game sometimes. Um, I'm really interested in also kind of DM sharing games like like Night Witches, Mm -hmm. which has another feeling of we're going to move the session and we're going to rotate who's kind of active and who's kind of primary. And troop games where we're controlling a whole bunch of people. So... You know, these people can leave Spotlight for a while, and it's just no big deal. Yeah, I was going to mention that as a type of Spotlight, the um, idea of kind of, especially diverse troops where some characters are explicitly the focus. Right. Um, (coughs) uh, So, Ars Magica being a classic example, um, Band of Blades being one that's uh, forthcoming, uh, where you kind of have different characters who are kind of your primary characters, and then you have uh, characters who are your kind of stock of extra characters or who are your secondary characters. Um, It's an interesting model for sharing the spotlight because you can kind of explicitly step into one of your secondary characters, and in some ways that's an indication of I'm taking less of the spotlight, but depending on the game, that's not so much enforced as just your character. It's uh, playing the secondary cast in Buffy, kind of. yeah, thinking about it, I think, you know, even Mouse Guard does the we're going to create characters and I am just on character creation, you're in charge, and I'm lower key. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're more important. It just means that, you know, we have assigned roles, we are in the show, and you're going to be the slayer in the in the Buffy sense. And we can just keep moving through with kind of more of an understanding of, of what everybody is supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, it, so we've talked a lot recently, not on the show, about kind of Dungeon World and the single playbook, uh, single person per fighter, per wizard type of thing. Yeah. And is any of that because you want explicit roles at the beginning? Uh, not too much, actually. Uh, I mean, I think if I were to revisit it, I would want to make it easier to have multiple fighters. Um, not... It's important that the characters have some diversity uh, if you're going to play the same playbook, which is the main reason for saying don't do two in in Dungeon World. Um, but the the spotlight there, I think, is more like the um, D&D Apocalypse World style spotlight. Having the different playbooks means that everybody is good at different things, and when you you know, get to the fight or get to the arcane ritual or get to the weird divine stuff or get to town different people have a chance to shine. And that's there in the GM moves, you know, gives an opportunity that fits a, a class's abilities or something like that. Um, but so in a sense, that does get back to we are splitting up roles, you know. Sure. And if you have two wizards that are both ritual wizards, it's like we're, we haven't split that role. Sure. I, I think it's, um, it's just roles in a different sense in that they're... Uh, 
less predefined which ones are going to be more important. Um, not that Mouse Guard, Mouse Guard, you have a leader, but I would say it actually doesn't um, affect Spotlight too, too much. It, it does a little bit. Uh, but Dungeon World is more like uh, the, when you're creating characters in Mouse Guard, it's often a good idea to look for certain skills and make sure that somebody within the party hits those skills. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a bit more like that. It's making sure that um, kind of all the ground of things that we're likely to do in the game, we have somebody who can who can do that if they need to, um, as opposed to the like leader portion, which is uh, who is going to be a little more in charge or in control. Um, and it's interesting, we've gotten this far, and we said that we were inspired by Epi's tweets, and we haven't actually really talked about his model of Spotlight, which was the interesting thought. Uh, I was sure you were going to bring it up, so I didn't put it on my list. It's, it's on my list, but I can't, like, do you remember the specific way that he phrased it? Yeah, yeah, so um, his example here is about the, uh, the cover of the AD&D Player's Handbook with uh, the statue and the eyes by, being pried out of it. Um, and his point is that if you look at that, uh, the characters, if you imagine that every one of those is being played by a different person, um, they're not kind of all sitting there with the GM all working on the same goal and the GM listening to you know the group as a whole declaring their goal. They're actually a lot of small actions with each other, and some of them look like they probably don't require kind of the GM as the voice of the world to even be involved. There's uh, some people who are planning, basically, or it looks like they're planning. Um, but then there's people who are uh, prying a, an eye out of the statue and all that stuff. Um, and his point there is that uh, as opposed to all of us kind of following the same spotlight around, there's um, the idea of audience. Who is your audience right now? Could right. you, if another player is your audience and that satisfies what you need in that moment, uh, you can actually have you don't have to think of Spotlight as the initiative order, pass it around kind of thing, right. or the primetime adventures, I'm really important right now thing. You can instead uh, think of it as, okay, do I have the right attention for the thing that I want to do right now? Okay, I do. We can play. Do you think... So a lot of that stuff makes me feel like it's a game where this stuff is all going on at, like in play at the same time, mm -hmm. where there's a group of two people sitting over there and they're talking, and there's a group of three people sitting over there and they're talking, but then how do you wrap all of that stuff back up together if you're doing it simultaneously? So that's something that uh, Epi didn't really get to, and I haven't had a chance to have a discussion with him about it. Like, I think that some of it depends on what kinds of discussions these are. Um, so if some of them are planning discussions, for example, or two people, uh, I mean, practically as an RPG thing, two people might be talking about a rules thing, you know. Oh, I've got this spell that gives me uh, this currency, and you have a spell that gives you this thing. Could we use those together to do this other thing? And unless there's like some arbitration needed on how the rules apply, they can have that discussion entirely on their own and then kind of return to uh, a larger audience later with the like, hey, we figured out the, the wizard and cleric together can get us past this door or whatever. Um, there's... there's I, think, I think in that model you really do have to have kind of a scenario where either everybody understands that you have a moment of rest right now mm -hmm. and you can actually do that kind of discussion or... Uh, 
the party is big enough that while this stuff is going on, you don't feel too bad about kind of going off into your own corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to work out is my group often does, you know, they'll do something is happening in the in the sound portion of the game, and then somebody else is like, I don't want to wait for that to finish up. I'm also going to be backstabbing this person, and I'm just going to roll it in slack. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, don't do that, because I need to keep everything in in check. But then coordinating a game, coordinating a game where you could feasibly do a whole bunch of stuff at once. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it needs to have a little bit more structure, a little like mouse guard simultaneous combat mm-hmm. type of stuff. So I think that part of what you're getting at there, the person who is backstabbing needs the audience, presumably of the person that are they're going to backstab, even if the whole idea is that they're not aware. Like the character, the player should probably be aware of what's happening in mm-hmm. that case, uh, and the GM probably needs to be involved in that because there are. Uh, like adjudication, adjudication issues and stuff like that. So, while Ebby used uh, the cover as like an example, um, at least from my understanding of his point, I think that D and D can be a bit of a stretch, especially as as modern D and D is played. Like, sure. um, if we're going back to like A D and D and basic as like the large groups where you have like a huge table of people and a caller who announces the actual like group actions, but everybody else can be kind of doing little things on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it actually does work. Like your audience could be just a few other people in the group. Um, and there's also, there's a lot of games that uh, the focus is different. Um, so something like Swords Without Master, uh, which is also... Epi's uh, game. Epi's game. Yeah. There, there is a much different sense of who your audience is at any given time and a lot less of a requirement. Like, not all... Part of the example from the AD&D cover, um, but also uh, Epi's, like, the the D&D mold in general is the idea that everybody's in the same place and all these things are kind of happening very simultaneously and in proximity to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas it's really possible to do, uh, like, a... Um, for example, if it was Blades and somehow some people had down, downtime while others didn't, mm-hmm. uh, you could totally have a couple of people just kind of like, you you do your downtime, and there's still the GM point of communication there, but right. like I, as a GM, I'd probably tell people, like... You can do all your own, yeah. Do your own downtime and tell me about anything important, that like summarize it in a minute, uh, but you guys talk about what you two do, and like depending on how your characters are related, you might even have little scenes and stuff there where you're like, uh, you know... My character wants to make up for the fact that I backstabbed you before, so I, I totally like I buy you a drink or whatever. Like, uh, there's there are opportunities for this, but I agree it's tougher to apply, especially in kind of the uh, modern D and D adventure game mold. Well, I think a lot of it is you know kind of the simultaneous action thing works out a lot better if you have some way of eventual coordination. Because mm-hmm. I you know one of my philosophical points about role playing games in general is that if something happens but everybody doesn't know about it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, you can have a gigantic four-page amazing fantasy backstory, mm-hmm. but if nobody in, at the in table you know, can actually understand what's going on or nobody read it or it doesn't come up in play, I don't, I don't really care. Um, and there are games, there are ways of doing this that, that make it work a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, like On Guard, I mean, we played... Yep. Uh, on guard games where you know you get 20 30 40 people sending all of their simultaneous here's all of the things that I wanted to do 
And then the DM has to coordinate all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Finding a cool way for small teams to do that kind of coordination, I mean... I, so your point about backstory and people not listening, I think is actually talking about audience again. Mm -hmm. There's If there's no audience for the thing that you're trying to do, sure. then uh, we need to think about whether it's a thing that needs to happen in this game. Um, I think the other complicating factor here is audience in the uh, like broadcast RPG sense. Uh, if we are doing this kind of thing where two players can be having their side discussion, uh, that works okay if we're in a bigger room where they can kind of like go to the other end of the table at least or something, um, or you know go to the kitchen, wherever. Uh, but if we're all in a stream with people watching, the audience can't realistically watch those both at the same time. So we have to go back to the the turn taking because there is not just our audience being the other people at the table, but like an actual audience who right. can only listen to one thing at once. But I mean that is that is a question of live streaming versus edited streaming. Yeah, that as well. You could feasibly do a full tabletop model, which you know, which they do where you split this group off and they're mm -hmm. talking to the camera and then we just edit it in post and show, oh yeah, this was actually going on at the same time. Which is I mean it's it's an interesting way to go, but like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm kind of looking for ways that you could do this kind of turn-taking, this kind of spotlight uh, audience direction purely with pen and paper. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you're going to have a split group, you know, at some point you need... So, so you know, I run this West Marches game, and one of the things about a West Marches game is that you should be able to split up GM responsibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, like, that's kind of the entire purpose. And the, the way that I think Ben uh, ran his West Marches game was get to a certain point, and then it's like, here's the world. We already know about the world. You can run whatever you want, and it will still agree with my stuff because the world says this stuff. Mm -hmm. I found West Marches to be much more difficult in Dungeon World splitting up GM responsibilities because the players and the GM have so much more power mm -hmm. over what is true in the world. And as soon as you split audience, so I didn't see what happened in that game, mm -hmm. keeping everything keeping everything sane and grounded becomes way more difficult. So a few people have ta uh, tackled that with uh, Living Dungeon World games at conventions, uh, which typically focus on having one table going, sometimes more, uh, and then like a shared board where facts and stuff get posted. Um, and uh, as far as I can tell, I haven't actually been lucky enough to participate in any of these. Also just kind of an attitude of like, there will be some inconsistencies, don't mind the small stuff. Sure. Um, which I think is an interesting model, but yeah, the I think it can in some ways again be looked at as a problem of audience. Like if... Uh, there are things that need to be communicated to the GM in particular, but the GM could be anybody now. Everybody at the table needs to be, and everybody who will be at the table later, needs to be in on these things, uh, which becomes like a real tough communication problem uh, as far as spotlight sharing in a sense again, like spotlight being uh, the focus. Now everybody, uh, we, we now have to have that kind of spotlighting because otherwise there are too many communications. Everybody has to be in on everything to uh, be able to then bring it back to the table later. Yeah, one of my habits when GMing is to do very, very small cuts mm -hmm. between parties that are disparate uh, and be like, okay, what's the very next thing you want to do? We'll resolve that or even half resolve that and then move to the next team. And I think that while that feels really good, 
at least to me, uh, because I get to see all these things going on, it means that you miss out on what's going on with the rest of the group sometimes, right? Because yeah. you're planning your next action and they're resolving some things and you have to either split your attention or ignore one side or the other. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you stop in the middle and you say, okay, I'm going to resolve this thing, you guys can go ahead and think about what you want to do with the the other audience sharing mechanisms that means that somebody is getting is missing something yeah right and maybe maybe that's no big deal mm -hmm. like in the in the in Epi's example of the of the cover it's like here's a whole bunch of stuff going on all of which is a little bit interesting already on its own if you are one of these players doing one of those things but you missed all of those other things going on is that okay mm -hmm. like because if that's not okay it's not so much an audience question as a timing question. Sure. But if it is okay, then yeah, yeah, sure. Audience is fine. Well, and I think audience, uh, there's degrees of audience as well. I would, uh, man, we're, we're just messing with Epi's ideas like crazy. <laughs> I, I'm not sure we can even keep on calling it. Sure, Epi's we'll get yelled we, at yeah, afterwards. It'll be fine. We've probably entirely misstated what he intended and, and done something entirely different. But like from, from what I got out of Epi's ideas, um, I think part of it is that there's different degrees of audience. Like the the two folks in the front who look like they're planning something, if they come back to everybody with a plan, not everybody had to be there for the entire planning process. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who are prying out the eye, if we know at the end uh, they lost this much HP, but they got the eye or whatever because they you know there was a poison needle they stabbed themselves on whatever, uh, is that enough? Like eventual communication or do I need to know all the things your character went through to do that um, well I mean that kind of gets to the let me tell you about my character thing yeah and some people really like hearing those stories after the fact it's like here I'll give you the the 10 minute session report of all the crazy stuff that happened and some people really don't care mm -hmm. um, but if you don't get any of that information uh, you might not know the thing about the world that you need to know but maybe but that's not a problem I mean, the the uh, idea that eventually you understand the state the world is currently in, um, I would think that there's a lot of detail there that's maybe not needed. Uh, we'll have to try out this play style more. Yeah, um, definitely. But I, I think it's very possible to have the audience focus moving around in such a way that uh, the pertinent facts are eventually communicated, but there can be a lot of moment-to-moment -moment play. And I, I, I've definitely seen a little bit of this in... Um, even my, my Wednesday night group, which is three players plus a GM, mm -hmm. um, usually either me or John Harper GMing, and then uh, Paul and Shannon and whichever one of us isn't GMing, um, being the players, and we'll definitely do some things where one player will be very much one-on-one uh, -on -one with the GM, and the other players may be plotting something or you know talking about something. Um, I, I don't think we often do actual actions in that sense. Like we don't say, okay, our characters are going to go over and do this thing, and actually we'll resolve like, it our own. Yeah, resolve it ourselves. Um, but we'll certainly do the thing where like the two guys are standing with a scroll and figuring out what to do next, while somebody else is prying out the eye. Um, that that I think is pretty common. Sure. Um, and then the audience becomes everybody else once we're kind of like, hey, we think that we can. We think the best option is to do this, uh, and then it becomes a larger discussion. I don't know. It's it's an interesting way to look at uh, audience as opposed to spotlight. I think I like it because it's um, 
at least what I got out of it. I don't want to push all these things into <laughs> Epi's tweets because we, we might have massively misinterpreted them. Um, but the the idea that uh, Spotlight doesn't have to be a singular singular thing that's passed around. Mm-hmm. That the, the important thing is uh, that people have the right attention from other people at that moment. Um, I think that's a really interesting way to designing games, and it's something that I'm going to have to think about more uh, how how do you incorporate that into moment to moment play, and how do you make rules that support that? Because um, actually, old D and D supports it really pretty well, um, uh, because it's designed for like the table full of people where the person down at the end is like, "What did the GM just say?" Um, well, this has been horribly unhelpful because I was hoping it would clarify a lot of my thoughts, and instead, it's just created like 50 more questions. Uh, that's a good summary of this podcast. Horribly mm-hmm. unhelpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll and take I think it. That's a, that's a good note to end on, <laughs> being horribly unhelpful. <laughs> it's our tagline. Yeah. So until next time, and we'll have another question.